Welcome to the Blue Sky Education Thinking Podcast. So, uh, hi, I'm Adrian Barrett. I'm one of the directors of uh, Blue Sky Education. And uh, we've got uh, Steph with us, uh, who uh, is the, uh, the, the, the practice head um, and a uh, man who hopefully needs uh, no more uh, introduction, Matt Simmons, uh, the man with his finger on the pulse of business education for uh, more years than he would very likely care to admit to. Uh, not admitting it's not, anything, Adrian. <laughs> it's not to dwell on that. Um, this is, this is uh, the first time we've done uh, a live uh, Zoom-based podcast, uh, obviously brought on by the, uh, the great changes that are happening in the world at the moment. Um, you hopefully, we'll have sort of heard some of our uh, pre-recorded podcasts, uh, which are available on the, uh, the Blue Sky site. Um, so... What we want to do today is uh, make this as interactive as, as possible. Um, questions about what's going on, trends, developments, etc. Uh, things that are keeping you awake at night. Um, the idea to, to sort of like to, uh, you know, get a discussion going here today, but also uh, as, as Steph has alluded to, so this can go on the site so it can be shared with the wider um, business education community going forward. Um, so if I could just, sort of like uh, seeing as I'm, I'm, I'm the guy doing the talking at the moment just sort of start off um what i'd like to do is is if i could just put a, a, a question to steph on the basis that steph is talking to um journalists writers editors who are specializing in the business education uh, arena uh, all around the world at the moment uh, you know what, what what's this what's the sort of the general feeling that you're getting from the writers as opposed to the schools mm. themselves, are they seeing this as sort of end of civilization as, as, as we know it, or are they seeing any sort of like signs of uh, you know sort of like signs of resilience? Are they seeing any mm. sort of like positives that might come out of it on a, on a long-term basis? I definitely say signs of resilience and the positives about all of this. Initially, a lot of the journalists, writers, ed editors who focus on business education were looking at the immediate impact. So what were schools doing? Were they transitioning to online? How were they coping with that? What were the timescales? Um, were people flying back home and then joining online from their home countries if they studied in a different country that, that was home to them? Um, and schools that really really well so there was a lot of coverage to do with all of those topics and how schools were dealing with it um, since then there's been a lot more focus on student aspects so if students studied in a different country and then they stayed there how have they coped being away from their families what are the realities of actually studying abroad now that most of us are locked down in quarantine measures um, now there's a lot of focus on the future so what are schools going to do come September or October when the next term starts? What are their plans? What is the future? Um, what do jobs look like for the graduating classes, um, especially MBAs? What, what are the future of, of business leaders and where do they see their professions going? So it's been really interesting um, and it, it's a lot of speculation now and a lot um, of schools impact on what they're doing and what plans they are making um, some have initially been a bit hesitant to share that because there's no uh, no precedent there's no one who's done this before so it's totally new ground that they're making here but it's been really really interesting um, and I'm sure Matt you you must have heard all of this from, from the schools haven't you 
Yeah, I just emerged from two days with many of the top schools for um, an event that we organised with Poets and Quants Centre Court, uh, where we invited a lot of the uh, admissions directors and the career services directors from uh, Keenan Flagler, um, Alison, I see you're with us, uh, and many of the other top schools. I have to say, I emerged from that with um, a real sense of um, determination, optimism, uh, exhaustion. Uh, you know, the admissions offices are dealing with uh, bringing in the classes of September, not knowing whether those classes will be uh, campus-based, uh, whether they'll continue to need to deliver classes uh, online, all of these discussions about uh, deferral, people that can't take their GMAT or their GRE tests, uh, and so you know, navigating the yields that they have. But looking ahead, of course, uh, historically we've always seen that any economic downturn, whether it was the dot-com bust of 2001 or Lehman and the financial crisis of 2008-2009, you know, historically business school has always been a, a counter-cycle, uh, and so they do expect real demand. I think one of the emerging messages, and I got that very strongly from many of the alumni that I've spoken with, is something that I've always felt in any of these situations. Uh, you're better off with your uh, graduate management education, MBA, specialized masters than without, because both in terms of networks and the proactivity of those networks to support the next generation of graduates, of course, uh, you know, wonderful professionals working in the career services teams looking to support all of these individuals, uh, but also the skill sets that they've been developing, you know, that, that resilience, that adaptability, uh, being able to uh, uh, face these uh, challenging conditions, uh, I'm actually very optimistic about um, the role that business schools and their graduates will play over the next two, three years as the world that's been turned upside down uh, slowly gets back on track. Are you seeing any sort of um, sp specific initiatives um, or uh, or, or concrete ideas in terms of um, specifically looking at the sort of like the jobs market as yet or is it is this sort of stuff you know still in in development right so, so a lot of the um the, the, we had um, i'm very glad that we featured careers panels in, in the center court event because it's often voices from the schools that perhaps are um <coughs> uh, don't get quite the same level of exposure steph it was interesting to hear your comment about uh, journalists that really want to understand um you know how this might impact the job market for MBAs and other uh, master's mm. graduates this summer and then beyond that. Um, many of them said that, uh, of course, historically, uh, in fact, if you go back 20, 25 years, uh, many of the consulting firms, I think it was uh, in the crash of 1992, uh, they pulled away from campus recruitment and regretted it bitterly because it, it, it sort of uh, broke the sort of um, connections that they had. Uh, and I think we then saw that in 2001 and in 2009, 2010, just how de determined they were to maintain their presence. So many of the career services uh, that we're sharing with us um, have talked about the high levels of engagement. Um, if anything, I think uh, there may be a time lag, whereas um, perhaps rather than starting your position at the Big Four or MBB in July or August, as you might expect to as you come out of school, um, some of those positions aren't starting until the fall or even at January of 2021, but the, the hiring intent is still there. Technology, of course, uh, and not just Amazon that in many senses is having a good COVID, uh, but you know the technology solutions we're all relying on during this period. I think there's a sense that um, there'll be tremendous demand there. Uh, and of course, with all of the deans that I talked to, all of them have talked about healthcare and, and the uh, impact that business schools and their graduates can have in the healthcare space in the next 10, 20 years. 
I would think that any of those projections have just quadrupled or certainly multiplied in terms of opportunities that we'll see uh, in that space. So, of course, there are the downsides when oil is worth what, $11 a barrel uh, or the avi aviation industry that's been decimated. You know, retail is going to take a long time to get back on its feet, but all of those core recruiters seem to be very steadfast. Uh, and so for, for the time being, uh, they're, I guess, quietly confident about what they might see for the remainder of this year. It'll be tough, uh, but I think um, with a sort of determination that the graduates are showing, uh, they're reasonably confident. And are you seeing any, any reports of, um, of particular initiatives which are involving, you, you, you mentioned the, to, like the alumni associations, any, anything sort of concrete there as yet, or is, is that sort of still um, too early days? Yes, I mean, I've seen uh, the sort of the internal documents that have come from you know, the deans at Columbia Business School, NCAD, reaching out to the alumni uh, bases um, you know, to, uh, to encourage them to um, think about the opportunities there might be for the class of 2020. But very interesting to hear just how many uh, alumni, they, they didn't wait for that communication. Uh, they've already written to their schools uh, and said, how can I help? You know, I, I remember when I was in this situation 10 years ago, uh, and it was through the alumni network of the school uh, that I was able to identify opportunities. And, and so I think you know, alumni themselves are being particularly proactive and reaching back out to their schools to say, how can I help? Which is, you know, just speaks to uh, the sort of um, this tremendous resource, I think, that graduating from these schools offers to, uh, to candidates in the current job market. Right, right, okay. Is there, is there anybody who's who's with us today who um, has got any sort of, any sort of uh, examples of uh, of what their school um, is doing or schools that they're aware of is doing in terms of um, trying to address the job market, trying to involve alumni to um, to look at that? Yeah, please just pop your comments in the chat and we can read them out or unmute you or, or share any of those ideas because I know. I'm lucky enough to speak with schools every day all over the world and there are so many different initiatives and the alumni and the students that I speak to are so passionate and, and they love the schools that they studied at. Um, and there are schools like uh, the University of Manchester, they've launched a fund to support the graduating class coming into this new job market um, and that's going to be supported strongly by their alumni. Um, so it's different initiatives like this that are going to be so important and that are going to be spoken about, seen in the media. Business education press are going to love all of these different aspects. Yeah, so I suppose in terms of sort of like the messages that need to be pushed out at the moment do very much need to be reassuring, but, but sort of like credibly reassuring, don't they? But sort of like they do need to be backed up by... Um, by you know by, by specific examples rather than just um, wish lists especially anything else I, th I think it's also a good example of you know, given these unprecedented con con um, conditions uh, of collaboration uh, you know the, you talk about the the initiative at, at Manchester and um, mm -hmm. at Berkeley House for example has guaranteed the living expenses of um, their students between year one and year two as, as they look for uh, internships over the summer. Um, EFMD, of course, uh, is very active with the higher ed uh, virtual career platform that I think you know is going to be rolled out uh, 20 or 25 of those events in the, in the coming weeks and months, uh, which brings a great number of schools together. And I think just this idea of um, how schools can then work together because um, you know these uh, conditions that we face are, are for all of us. Yeah. Uh, and I actually think that um, 
either sharing best practice ideas, this has worked, mm. something that can then quickly be adopted by other schools or even pooling those resources, you know, to give their graduates uh, the very best opportunities in a, in a very challenging time. Yeah, I mean, um, Magda from EFMD has just messaged to say that they've launched a virtual careers fair. So I'm just going to unmute her and uh, she'll tell us a little bit more about that. One second. Hi, Magda. Hi, everyone. Thanks so Hi, much for having me, having me. So, yes, I'm, I'm happy to share an initiative that we just launched that Matt has kindly mentioned, which is a series of virtual career fairs. And as you said, this element of collaboration in this very challenging time is, is critical. So we've worked with FireEd to pull resources and launch a series of career fairs, which are geographically specific and industry specific to help uh, the career advancement and development uh, of, of graduates and students in this difficult time. And it's been a great success. We actually had the first fair uh, only yesterday and we've had uh, more than 100 schools on board and uh, 60 corporates right now. So this is a new experience for both sides actually. And, uh, and, and we've had some interesting feedback coming from the corporate recruiters as well, that, uh, you know, moving from this traditional campus-based recruitment into virtual space that we've already experienced in the industry, uh, it, it brings an added value for them as well to continue the talent uh, management within their, their corporate uh, talent recruitment units. So thanks so much for having yeah. me. Yeah, and Magda, are you finding that the, the, the corporate recruiters are embracing this quite enthusiastically? I mean, are, are they being flexible uh, about sort of like adapting to this uh, new circumstances? Actually, yes. And to speak very personally, I was a bit wary on this side when we launched this initiative because I thought, you know, the first reaction from corporates in this very uncertain times might be, you know, we're sort of putting on hold our recruitment uh, uh, initiatives and so on, but they've embraced that quite enthusiastically and uh, there's been a, a tremendous response coming from them. So, so we're really, really happy about the outcome. Mm, it's very encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I think that sort of like this is perhaps a difference to what's happened in the past, you know, when there have been sort of um, huge downturns in sort of like uh, a, a, of MBA recruitment is, um, it, it used to be that recruitment was almost done on a sort of like a just-in-time basis, whereas over the past, certainly over the past sort of five, six years, perhaps even over the past 10 years, there's been this move to pooling and pipelining of talent. So it's not just a question, we need somebody tomorrow, we need somebody next month. It's this, Let's go out there and start building relationships with the people that we want now, but we might want further down the line. It's a more of a sort of strategic approach to things, which you know fits in brilliantly with the sort of initiative that you're taking. Yeah, it does. And actually, some of the schools they've uh, kind of put forward recruiters that they traditionally work with for the let's say com common resource and common good of the network which is which is also a very commendable move uh, you know and, and kind of a sign of solidarity and compassion in the network right. as well right. because i suppose there is always a danger in, in a situation like this that sort of everybody thinks we need to look after ourselves but from what you're saying there is this sort of uh, as you say solidarity you know we're all in this together so we've got to find a way out of it together. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Magda. Thank you. Yeah. That was Thank a great you. question. Um, I hope you don't mind, but I'm just going to re-mute you because we have another question. Thanks, Magda. That was wonderful. Um, Ali is interested in knowing how the future of business schools will look um, in a global economic crisis. Um, Matt, would you like to kick off with this one? Easy question for you. It's a great crystal ball <laughs> question, isn't it? It's the, the future of business education. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's robust, I think. Uh, it's, if you look at the challenges, of course, that uh, COVID has presented on so many levels, starting with delivery. Uh, you know, if, if we uh, look back over the last 10 years, there's been a very slow and conservative move towards uh, more online delivery. Um, but the FT still only has 10 uh, online MBA programs uh, in their annual uh, ranking. Uh, and Alison could no doubt speak to the launch of the um, online MBA at UNC Keenan Flagler that uh, you know, as a pioneer, uh, one of the top schools offering that sort of delivery, there was tremendous resistance from the alumni and you know, what does this do to, to the brand? That now looks very prescient, I think. Um, and it's interesting to see how uh, schools like UNC, like Durham, like uh, MIP in Italy, uh, Imperial, uh, Michigan, you know, they've all invested heavily in developing online courses. So this scramble that we've seen in the last two months to uh, transfer courses uh, online. Um, I, I think you know those schools perhaps have been particularly well positioned to ensure not just that a cult class is delivered, but I think that much deeper thinking about pedagogy, about what is you know successfully delivered online, how you manage to maintain that level of interaction uh, between faculty uh, and all of those voices of students in the classroom. Um, Harvard Business School you know, has, has been wrestling with this and of course with their HBX or now HBS online um, you know, I think has a lot of ideas about how they can continue to deliver the case method, which traditionally has been a very fast moving and interactive uh, live experience uh, in, in a classroom. So, so I think, you know, that we will see a shift. Um, right now, I see two mindsets. There's this growing generation that feels that uh, online learning, you know, where you want and when you want uh, fits with the sort of flexibility that they're required. Whereas those that have been plunged into it, that have chosen the full-time MBA and suddenly are having to move to online uh, delivery, you know, for them, that's a, an understandable shock. Uh, we talk about how sometimes the professors are adapting to this more quickly uh, than the current students. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if in the next decade, both for that FT ranking, uh, but you know, among the top schools, we would triple or quadruple the number of business schools um, that, that offer uh, online uh, MBAs, online specialised masters programmes. I think this will be a tremendous, tremendous acceleration for that. That is going to require a lot of resources. It's not something that schools can do lightly. Um, but I think, in a sense, COVID has broken down some of the resistance from faculty uh, and this generation of, of students that are ready to embrace it. Um, executive education, you know, that's always been, um, for some schools, a major part of their revenue stream. Um, and, and that's you know come to a, a crashing halt again uh, within the executive MBA. And it's one of the discussions that we had in the podcasts um, earlier this year, uh, looking at the EMBA, which very often was adopting a blended learning model and using a lot of those virtual learning platforms. Uh, I think you know that that again looks uh, like it was a good investment to make, because with the uncertainty of how quickly we will be will rediscover that sort of international mobility that we used to take for granted. 
uh, I think the, the ability to um, to blend both uh, live campus-based learning uh, and online is going to be more and more important. And I think that corporations themselves will buy into this idea as they're getting used to people working from home, that they can also pursue their uh, education and studies from a laptop versus spending three or four days uh, in a residency of, of exec ed. So, you know, that's part of the business school model that we often overlook. Uh, right now, it must be really hurting the business schools to have seen that uh, revenue stream come to such an abrupt halt. Um, and we'll see that pick up slowly. But, um, you know, transitional times, I, I do see a silver lining. Um, you know, we've often talked about how business education and higher education in general was ripe for disruption. Uh, and I think that the schools that are nimble and agile and can really move beyond this opportunity uh, will um, uh, will do very well in the future. I think it, it'll be tough for others. I think um, you know we will see some closures. We will see certain programs being closed down. Um, but you know again, that speaks perhaps to uh, another of our podcasts of how you stand out for the strengths, the spe specializations, and the faculty uh, expertise of your institutions and those networks. Um, you know, I think that podcast in particular was very interesting about what certain schools have done you know, to really leave their mark uh, and uh, it, for it to be clear for candidates what they offer. Yeah, absolutely. We had one of our podcast series was on um, standing out from the competition and uh, that might be another great topic to do again for our, our next series because things will change so much in this time. Um, we have another question from Rob Reed. So Rob, I'm going to unmute you so you can ask. Hi, can you all hear me? Yes, perfect. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah, I think this is this is to everyone, but perhaps maybe uh, Matt more so. Um, I'm just I just wondered whether you think what your opinion was on um, uh, whether uh, ASEAN um, business schools were or are better prepared to come out of this quicker and stronger than their European counterparts due to their previous experience with the SARS crisis coinciding with the global downturn ten or so years ago. And is there anything? Um, the European schools could learn from this and quickly to reduce long-term damage to numbers, perhaps brand reputation, and with the numbers down, potentially with rankings in a few years' time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a great question of of sort of uh, different parts of the world and their responses and and therefore how they might bounce back. I think one of the interesting case studies for this right now, and of course it's a working process, is uh, is INSEAD that operates. Uh, with you know, primarily out of Fontainebleau and Singapore, but also with the campus in Abu Dhabi. And they've also got that beautiful uh, new research center in San Francisco that they opened and then immediately had to close. Um, but uh, the school has been discussing internally with, um, you know, typically with their September and their January class starts, would they be able to shift many of those students that otherwise would have started the program in Fontainebleau to Singapore, given that in um, that the early months of, of COVID-19 in uh, in Singapore, uh, you know, the government and the country had um, had done well to, to really limit uh, the impact. Of course, it was just what ten days ago that um, the number of cases uh, flared up again. Um, but how they could then use having a dual campus structure and, and shift uh, some of their learning, I think. Um, it's still too early for them to make that prediction. But there are a number of schools, as you know, Rob, that have pursued this multi-campus model, you know, ESCP that has campuses in five of the major European cities, others that have explored bases across Latin America, the Middle East and, and Asia. Um, 
the Asian School of Business was another recent launch about five years ago. It was MIT Sloan that uh, partnered with a major Southeast Asia bank. Uh, one of their challenges is that they've relied on a model where every week they would fly professors out from Cambridge, Massachusetts to deliver courses uh, in the campus in Kuala Lumpur. Um, and right now, of course, with the lockdown, um, they're not sure how they'd be able to uh, pursue that. So, um, you know, will, will Southeast Asia uh, recover more quickly? Uh, they, they've often showed the, the, the discipline, I guess, to, um, you know, to, to, to crack down on these sort of cases. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if um, those schools uh, emerge perhaps a little more quickly with campus-based learning before some of the European schools. That was a great question. Thank you, Rob. That was fabulous. If anyone has any further questions, please pop them into the chat. There was just one more that I think was probably prompted by a comment we made, and it was, uh, what topics do we think we will cover in the next podcast series? Um, we actually have one recorded from last series on events, which became completely irrelevant thanks to coronavirus. So perhaps we'll release that as a special um, one day uh, when the world returns to it a little bit more normal, but what will normal look like? Um, Adrian, Matt, do you think, are there any other topics in, in your head that you think we should cover? A, a big one for me is, is mobility. Mm. Uh, and, and interesting with, with uh, Magda talking about the virtual career fairs where you're still looking to tie multinationals, whether they're based out of Zurich, London, Berlin, uh, that are hiring um, graduates of EFMD member schools uh, out of Spain and Italy and Lithuania, you know, the, the, the sort of connections that they look to make across borders. I think the other big one uh, is in terms of already in the last two or three years with uh, a Trump administration and the uncertainty that they had created around H-1B visas, you know, we already saw the impact uh, in terms of study destinations for international students. Uh, this is an election year uh, and clearly Trump intends to use uh, the theme of immigration uh, as one of his cards and you know, it was only 10 days ago that he announced that they would stop all immigration. Immigration stopped anyway because MDCs have closed but he does like to uh, take his own position on, on those things. Um, and I think you know, that's of great concern to uh, US business schools. There's been this scramble for them to pursue a STEM certification because that may give more opportunities for their graduates if in theory the MBA somehow had a sort of a, a science technology um, component to it. But it also uh, uh, picks up on, on Rob's question about um, you know which parts of the world might open up more quickly and how some of the fundamentals of ideas of study destinations may change. You know Chinese students that were uh, you know, there was just a direct feed towards the US were, were, have been prepared to look elsewhere in the last three years. You know, whether that's Canada, a lot of European business schools have um, been recipients of that and that expressed interest. Um, clearly over the next six, 12 months, based on uh, the ability to then receive, safely receive and welcome those students. You know, I do wonder about um, how international students will think about their own study plans. Would they feel more comfortable um, targeting schools in Southeast Asia rather than Europe or North America. So um, mm. I think that sense of mobility and study destinations is going to be a big theme to follow. Definitely, I totally agree. And I think the schools that communicate well in those areas and to those areas at a time like this will really begin to, to see the difference. 
Um, absolutely. Uh, Adrian, is there any final comments just before we wrap up today? Well, I think it's how um, it's, it's something that we, we've touched on sort of like, you know, in our, in our own talks is that how um, the business education community carries on putting out positive messages without sounding like it's just sort of like whistling in the dark. Um, you know, how, how, it's, how you shape uh, and then communicate and carry on communicating credible positive um, messaging to sort of like mm -hmm. to, to really get the, the message over that this, yeah, this is awful. None of us wanted this to happen, but mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this could be, um, it could be that sort of like uh, stimulus for a sort of like a, a leap forward in the way that business education operates and is delivered. Um, and it, you know, it'll just be, it'll be different, mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's, it's going to be bad. It could actually end up being something really positive. Mm, definitely and I, I must say one of the, the positive things to come out of this is the need for business school experts because before it, it was like people didn't want to listen to experts but it's almost heralded a new age where people want to hear from academics they want their input they want their speculations about what's going to happen to the economy what's going to happen to different sectors so there, there are definitely things that we can see that have really come out of this and worked worked really well yeah I think it's it's always um entrepreneurs that are going to save the world rather than the politicians and, and with that entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial mindset you know i think how that applies to um to business school graduates um it, it also you know reminds me that we've seen unprecedented sums being pumped into the economies uh, you know to, to cover this period through through covid uh, but not losing sight of other major societal challenges including of course climate change and many business schools as they look at themes of sustainability again that was another podcast that, that we discussed um you know whether it's the the 17 uh, sdgs of the united nations that rsm and other schools have embedded in their curriculum you know i think climate the environment uh, you know are, are still an absolute priority so as we move through covid and it will be painful um, to not lose sight of, of some of those other areas where business schools uh, make such a massive contribution at, at a local, regional level and mm. at an international level. So we just have one final question from Tommaso from Bocconi. So Tommaso, I'm just going to unmute you and you can ask away. Go Hi, for everyone. it. I think... Hi. Um, I just wanted to look at something. It's a very big question, but um regards specifically communication mm. um just because i mean italy unfortunately was on the front line so one of the first countries where everything really escalated so we've uh, here at Bocconi, it's been since the end of february now so for two months where our communication has focused 99 percent on coronavirus so communicating what's been happening regarding the switch to online teaching, getting out our research on the topic, uh, our experts in the newspapers commenting. <clears throat> We've done stories of all our alumni who are working on the front line, et cetera, et cetera. And we're just starting to sort of debate internally whether it's sort of time to sort of <laughs> sort of move on a bit you know start talking about other things but is there any interest in the media for other topics or <clears throat> that's just what we're discussing 
internally if it's time to start talking about <coughs> other things looking forward and just wanted to hear some quick thoughts on this if possible mm. Absolutely. A brilliant question. Thank you so much. And I think a lot of schools have started off in a similar vein, just communicating, sharing their expertise, sharing their stories. Um, I've seen a lot of schools who want to be who are quite strategic in what they want to be known for. So there's a school in France who really wants to be known for entrepreneurship. So they've pushed how entrepreneurs can cope with the current crisis to the press so they can be seen as the experts in that and hopefully that will encourage any entrepreneurs and people looking to learn more about that to apply for their programs and to look at the school a bit more closely. Um, Matt, Adrian, what, what are your thoughts on Tomas's question? I, I think that sort of that um, it's important to have the strategic uh, picture in mind all the time that okay, I can completely understand to myself that you know given the fact as you say that Italy was in the in the front line that you needed to um, you needed to sort of like engage around COVID itself because there would be so much um, media um, uh, focus on that but I think that um, the longer this goes on uh, the, 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 I think we're already seeing it ourselves so there is you know, there, there are people wanting to write about other stories. And so there is an appetite for the right sort of stuff, the you know, credible um, material that one would have put out before all this, this, this blew up. So it's a question of getting that balance and, and, and sort of, uh, and constantly thinking of, the, of the, the, the long term picture rather than just the here and now. I'm reminded of, um, there was a survey of uh, British um, television viewers, what did they remember of the nine or the 10 o'clock news the night before? And this is back in the early 80s during um, the conflict in, uh, in the South Atlantic. And so you know, th th they all said, well, of course, it was, it was talking about that. Um, nobody could remember anything else other than the final segment that was about a duck that had learned to ride a skateboard or something. Uh, and that somewhere, I think, you know, we've seen this absolute blanket coverage. It's been nothing but COVID. And it sounds like the initiatives, Tommaso, that you've taken at, at Bocconi, uh, you know, have really uh, been very reactive and responsive to that. Um, but we are starting to see this, this need for either more positive stories or, you know, Steph mentioned earlier, looking at the future, uh, which, of course, is always um, speculative. But as uh, I can imagine in you know, the Italian market, whether... Uh, whether it's for design, for the fashion industry, retail, tourism and leisure, of course, um, you know, how, how you're then starting to look at, at those industries in the future. So that, that's still related to the COVID story. Um, the FT was very slow with COVID. You know, I was writing about the fact that um, business schools were moving to Skype to do their uh, round two uh, MBA interviews uh, in the end of January. Um, and, 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 you know, the FT really didn't um, catch on to this idea of how schools were starting to adapt to what was emerging out of China. And then suddenly we saw uh, nothing else. Um, but I think in, in perhaps the next three, four months, of course, it will still be, what, 80, 85% COVID. But how you then explore that 15 or 20% of those other stories, because there's clearly a growing appetite for that. 
Definitely, definitely really great, really great advice. And, and after all, communication should be about those goals and those goals still exist for business schools. So how can we help meet them with our communications now, even though we're dealing with this media landscape? But as Matt said, it, it is slowly changing and we're seeing more positive stories, more, more non-COVID stories. So it's all about how to leverage that. Um, so thank you everyone so much for, for joining us today. Um, if you want to hear any more from us, uh, please do drop us an email. We're always happy to help um, and answer any questions. If you'd like to listen to our podcasts, then please head over to the website and we'll be adding this as an extra episode as well. Um, and we really appreciate your time. So uh, enjoy the rest of your day and thank you. Everybody stay thank safe you. and well. This has been the Blue Sky Education Thinking Podcast. Thank you for listening. For more information, more resources, visit our website at www.bluesky-pr.com.